Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. That has to be the most common statement I've heard in more than 30 years of presenting customer and participant survey results. Hi friends, it's Jeff Hudson. Welcome to Relational Gravity, the podcast that helps you measure, understand, and build the relationships that make you and your organization successful. Tell me what to do. The statement could come as a question like, what specifically do I need to do to improve customer satisfaction? Or what words should I use in emails to improve participant engagement? Or what specific product or pricing changes should I make to grow market share? While simply stated, these are tough questions, but they deserve answers. Why do we use market, participant, or customer research if it's not to gain clear-cut, actionable answers? To get there, let's start with first things. If you don't get started correctly, your data can be meaningless or at worst, fatally flawed. I don't have to tell you how risky it is to make decisions based on faulty data. And unless you get your first things right, you may never know your data is flawed. So our first step is to define the problem. Many folks skip this stage and jump immediately to drafting questions. Don't do it. Do this and your research may address a problem, but likely won't address your problem. In the words of motivational speaker Zig Ziglar, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. If you don't have a clear understanding of what your problem is and what you're trying to learn from research, then you're doomed to fail. The next step is approaching the problem. This can include the time when you draft the questionnaire. And in looking at the questionnaire, do the questions address your problem? Are they flawed, such as what we call double-barreled questions? That's a question to ask two things at once. For example, your satisfaction with the speed and courtesy of the server at your favorite restaurant. If both are in a single question, you'll never know if the survey respondent is unhappy with the speed, courtesy, or both you need to consider what types of questions you will ask related to the problem you've defined. Do you need open-ended responses, or can you use just five-point Likert scales with two positive, one neutral, and two negative ratings? Will you use a balanced or unbalanced scale? Are max differ conjoint techniques a better fit for exploring your problem or opportunity? Then let's talk about research design, and we'll begin with what we call the sample. Who will you survey? How many people should you survey? Should you survey all of your plant participants or a randomly selected sample? What if you don't have a good list? Can you use a convenient sample such as surveying all your buddies on LinkedIn? If those LinkedIn connections look a lot like you in terms of education, industry, and income, you will be listening to an echo chamber. Are these people who are the people you serve or are they just people who can fill out a survey for you? Then there's data collection. Is it an online survey? Will it be distributed by email, social media? If you or your research don't have these first steps done, odds are your study is headed for a dusty shelf someplace. Get these first things done and you'll end up with a collection of data that needs to be summarized. Often research reports begin and end with an overview section. This part gives a broad sense of what your participants think and do. You'll see data summed up in box scores based on 5-point or 7-point Likert scales. You may also see demographic differences such as gender, age, or marital status displayed in bar or pie charts. This is the part of the presentation that has your plan committee leaning forward with interest. But, 
Every survey presentation moves to a single question. How do you know the accuracy and quality of your survey results? Do the results of a small number of responses reflect the perspectives of a much larger group? If your sole litmus test is response rate, you're at risk of discarding good data or accepting flawed data. Prepare for this question in the beginning stage before you ever launch your survey. If you don't, this is the stage when research projects die in forgotten binders on a dusty shelf. Satisfy these challenging questions and you face another tough one. So what? What do we do with this information? It will take more than tables and charts to answer this question. You need insights. The real opportunity for participant research lies beyond that pie chart purgatory in the beautiful land of data insights. If you're lucky, you'll find this in the often missing so what part of the report. This is where the bright furnace of statistics has transferred the rough ore of data into brilliant gold. This refining process could include techniques such as correlation, regression, factor, or cluster analysis. And it is through this refining that you begin to understand the gold of relationships presented with a color-rich picture of what matters most to the people you serve. Turning these insights into action is the single most difficult challenge in applied research. And so we get back to the statement at the start of the podcast. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Step one is to bridge the gap between the researcher and those responsible for doing the what to do. I spend a great deal of my time these days in retirement education and communication. I've found it takes a bit of creative magic to transfer the refined gold blocks of research into beautiful jewelry. The challenge is to connect those brilliantly creative writers and educators with the data. The magic that makes this work is transforming data into personas, archetypes built on data representing actual groups of participants. Toss in written comments from these participants so that the creative person can visualize, hear, and understand them. A recent example for me was helping a team of communication education pros visualize a real persona, a lower-income single mother with teenage kids trying to figure out how to pay for prom dresses or soccer shoes. The key here is creative empathy combined with real-life experience. Many of us can picture that single mom with the face of someone we know, perhaps in our own family. However, when our life experiences don't give us that face, it's an opportunity for action. Get your creative team and education team in front of planned participants that fit these personas. Success in education and communication is all about building relationships with those you serve. Generic content can never do that. Well-researched personas based uniquely on your participants will give your communication the authenticity that builds trust and engagement. I'm always happy to answer questions and give opinions regarding research and participant engagement. Go to relationalgravity.com and select contact to send me your question or comment. Thank you for listening to another Relational Gravity podcast. Remember, it's about relationships always. Always.